The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth and recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank you all for listening with us today. I am very glad that you've joined us. We've got another great program for you, and uh, I want to thank you also for liking the Spirit of Recovery Facebook page. It's great to get those likes, and thank you so much, too, when you post on our Facebook page, and thank you for emailing me and letting me know what's happening for you in your recovery and spirituality walk. It's fabulous. Thanks for participating. And um, I want to thank you also for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community, your family, um, the people in your spiritual communities, your unity community, know about Spirit of Recovery here on unityonlineradio.org. It is great to be broadcasting on the topic of spirituality and recovery. And I'm so glad to know that my guests are touching your heart and making a difference in your life bringing you information that is uh, helping you, that's supporting you, that's opening up new thoughts, new ideas, new avenues, new resources for you because that's what it's all about is to keep growing. You know that you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen live via your computer, via your smartphone. You can also go to Stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. You can also listen now through any Alexa, A-L-E-X-A, enabled device, um, such as Amazon Echo. You can um, go, it's a Hands free voice controlled app from Amazon and you can listen to, uh, Spirit of Recovery to Unity Online Radio on an Alexa enabled device. Just ask Alexa to play Unity Online Radio on TuneIn. You can also listen to Spirit of Recovery at your own leisure on demand. Uh, you can, we got, you can listen on, you know, your smartphone, your computer, whatever, anytime you want to. We've got lots of great archived uh, podcasts. Go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash spirit of recovery and you'll find amazing, amazing programs on there with wonderful guests who have generous hearts and uh, wonderful spirits. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. If you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, or if you're the family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, um, you're really welcome here. And I want you to know, too, that family members and friends also have uh, avenues of recovery open to them as uh, family members and friends. So there are 12-step programs. There are uh, all kinds of resources to recover as a family member 
uh, and or a friend of someone with the disease of an addiction. So if you're a person, whether or not you're in recovery, maybe you're just curious about addiction and recovery, spirituality, whatever, you're welcome here. I'm glad you're here. You're welcome to participate in our discussions. If you've got a comment or question for my guest on the topic of the day, you are welcome to email that in or call it in because we would just love to hear from you. Also, if you like what you hear on Unity Online Radio on this program or any of the other great programs and you'd like to make a financial contribution to this nonprofit radio station, you are absolutely welcome to do that and it is appreciated. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 and you can give a one-time financial gift or an ongoing gift. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity Minister and also an Addictions Counselor, and I also am a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction, and 35 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development, and my walk keeps uh, continues to be an integration of unity principles and recovery principles, and that keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing. So I am so grateful, delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you, to bring you wonderful guests um, who have lots going on for them and their lives and their world as they Again, write for or work with or are people in recovery, lots of times all the above. And um, so, again, we're going to have another great program today. Today, our topic is a thousand screaming monkeys. Oh, my. You're going to find out what that's all about um, because we're going to hear some really honest sharing from my guest, Kevin Hart. And he is the author of this book, A Thousand Screaming Monkeys. And he writes, he says, if someone would have told me that someday I'd write a book sharing what it's like to be an alcoholic and drug addict, fully disclosing all my shortcomings in a very candid way, I probably would have laughed and downed another drink. But that's just what's been done. And he says, why? The real answer, I'm not sure. Nevertheless, um, it took years to complete the book, A Thousand Screaming Monkeys, and it was written for all of those who seek a better way to live. So Kevin is a person who's in long-term recovery. He is an author. He's a publisher. He is a unity student. He's active in a unity church, and he is active in bringing the message of recovery to those people who are incarcerated in the jail system. And Kevin shares um, today and in his book his true story and what has happened in his life since he began asking this question, can I allow myself to go beyond the smaller problems of life and be guided in a more fulfilling way than trying to control situations and outcomes? That's an important question. You can learn more about Kevin's work at Merkaba Press, and that's M-E-R-K-A-B-A-H Press.com. So, Kevin, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you, Anna. I'm very glad that you um, are my guest. And uh, later on, we can tell a little bit how you how you got how how we made this contact. So you're here today. It's, it's a pretty cool story in itself. So tell us, though, Kevin, what brought you to brought, write this book, A Thousand Screaming Monkeys? And you finished it last year, I believe. It got published last year. But what brought you to write it? Yeah, that's a huge story in itself, and I, I think I should probably tell you a few things about my myself before I tell you that, and just so you can get a little bit of background, and okay. that is that I've been, in, yeah, I've been in recovery myself for 10 years now, and um, when, I, when I first, so I'm, I'm 48 years old now, and I landed in a treatment center at 38 years old, and the book talks about that time in my life. It focuses around the time when I was brought to a treatment center and that initial kind of surrender that a lot of us as addicts, you know, that real initial surrender where that happens, uh, it's so profound for many of us. In fact, you know, there's people in recovery with, you know, 20 and 30 and 40 years who continue to tell the story about the moment they surrendered. It's the most profound thing that's ever happened in most of our lives, that moment of surrendering the old ways and allowing a new way to come in. Some people call that God consciousness, you know, allowing that God consciousness to come in and guide us. And so back 10 years ago, 
you know, I'd been living my life up until 38 years old, kind of like a freight train that was rattling its way down the tracks at high speed, ready to come off at any minute. And I always say that when I got to that treatment center, it was much like sliding face first into treatment. And so when I first got there, I didn't know, you know, I was not a writer by any means. In fact, I wrote very little, as little as possible. And I just lived life kind of on full throttle like a lot of, you know, a lot of addicts and alcoholics tend to do. And so when I first got to the treatment center, I was given this gift, um, well, many gifts actually, but one of the gifts I was given was from the counselor, and she gave me a notebook, and she asked me to start a journal to turn into her. And I thought that was just one of the most ridiculous things, and I rolled my eyes, and I moaned and groaned, and something interesting happened along with all the other things that we'll talk about today, but once the pen hit the paper, it was as if I couldn't stop writing. And so I found this sort of hidden longing inside of me where something really wanted to come out and make itself known to me and to the world. And so when I, as, as my time in sobriety went on, and there's a lot of stuff that happened in that, like, you know, it's true for most of us, but about, I think it was around five years, six years being sober and living a sober life and being involved in various 12-step programs and being exposed to an incredible life. Unity Church was part of that and so many wonderful things. I had been a journal writer ever since that time at treatments. I'd been writing for probably about five solid years, and I found this great comfort in going to uh, any sacred spot, and any spot could be sacred. You know, it could be the Safeway little waiting area or a Starbucks coffee place or any other coffee shop, or it might just be a picnic table at a park. But I w would just want to perch and just write. And I would write, it was like this ongoing conversation with God is kind of how it felt. You know, I'd write all my, my fears and hopes and dreams and this hodgepodge of all this stuff on paper. And it was always as if there was this listening. And, and I don't know if that might sound kind of weird, but it was as if there was something that was listening to what I was doing and it was guiding me. And so the writing helped me kind of sort out my insane thousand screaming monkeys in my head. And so that's how I became a writer, a person who just writes. And then I got inspired through a series of synchronicities to write this book. And... I actually ended up at a fellow's um, workshop. It was called Writing as a State of Conscious Dreaming. Hmm. It was a fellow named Robert Moss. Who You're familiar with Robert Moss? You know, I'm trying to think. I've had someone that it sounds familiar I've had as a guest on this program, and I'm not sure if it was him or not. It may be. I'll have to look back. But anyway, yeah, go it ahead. Could, it, it could be. I was... Uh, I was. I always get when I go into bookstores, I get called into certain little nooks. And there's this place in Lake Forest Park called Third Place Books. It's this giant bookstore, and I got called to the back of the bookstore. And this little book whispered to me, and it was called The Secret History of Dreaming. And I started reading that book, and it was just beautiful. Robert Moss is a wonderful writer, and he teaches dream work. If you're interested in that, you can look him up. But anyway, a friend of mine had sent me an email saying that he was doing a workshop locally, and that was the workshop writing as a state of conscious dreaming. And so I went to the workshop, and I didn't know what the heck I was doing there. I just knew that I loved to write in my journal. And so they wanted us to have some writing project done. And I'd been very active in recovery, and I wanted to help people. And I wasn't sponsoring anybody or doing any of the stuff that a lot of us do in recovery. I just wanted to be in service the best way that I could in the world. And you know, I'd realize the gift of sobriety, but that in itself is kind of thin, you know, and it kind of ties into this thing that happens to a lot of us is through the principles of recovery, we find that a life of service is the most fulfilling aspect of getting sober is to share it with somebody else. And so I knew I wanted to do that. And so at this workshop, he said that, you know, as part of this thing, he'd like us to have a a part of a writing project done, whether it's a magazine article or part of a book or part of a, any kind of a writing project. And so I thought, what, what am I going to do, you know? And so I went into, uh, I'm a student of yoga, and I, I went to a, a yoga class. The workshop was five days long, so we had plenty of time. And I went to a yoga class one evening after the workshop, and as I was laying in Shavasana, which is the 
the last posture we do, which is just lying still on the floor. My spirit guides came visited me, and they said, you're going to write your life story. And I said, I'm going to what? And they said, yes, you're going to write your life story. And I said, okay, I'll do it. Because I'd learned by that time that if I listen to what my spirit guidance says to me, it always turns out good. And so I went back and I wrote what I thought was the epilogue of A Thousand Screaming Monkeys. And I didn't have the name at the time, but I thought it was the epilogue. And it actually turned out to be the beginning segment of the book, which is called Welcome Home. But it was something that I worked on, and it was almost uh, like I was learning how to find my voice. I had the spiritual guidance inside, and it came to me much like a voice, like an inner voice. But I wanted to have a voice in the world, too. I wanted to do something meaningful. And so it was like this little piece that I had written was this beginning. And then he had, it read it. he had us read it in front of the group, which was about 13 people. And my voice was quivering, and I was choked up, and I was shocked that it was so difficult for me to expose myself in that way. But something cathartic happened there. And we did a lot of journeying, too, with the drum shamanic journeying. And there was a lot of... A lot of deep spiritual, what I call spiritual magic that happened there. And so then I came back and I just started to write. And I, I was on fire to write this book. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and wrote, 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 wrote so much. I wrote so much that I had a 100,000 word journal entry. <laughs> and that's all it was. It was this run-on journal entry. And I had no idea what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So then a seri- another series of miracles kind of came to pass. And one of those was that I I was at a 12-step meeting, and I, um, a gal that I'd known for a long time, she's got 46 years sober, and um, she said she was going home to write. And I said, hey, I'm a writer. I'm writing a book. And she said, really? Well, I'm an editor. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was this fateful exchange, and, we, and she helped me work on this giant journal entry and kind of hack it down into, a, into the format of a book. And so, you know, we worked on that for many years together, and the whole process of the book took uh, – almost five years to complete from the time that I was at that workshop until the time that I released it on Amazon. Right. So your life, Kevin, is so different from what it was since you've been in recovery. It's like, uh, as you said, since it's like you've gotten really in touch with your intuition. Was it? I'm guessing that before you got into recovery, that's not what was happening, that you were probably pretty focused on the outside things. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, and, you know, I know that was a huge, uh, long explanation of how the book came into being, but it, it, it goes along with the, your next question that you just asked me, <clears throat> and that is that before, and if, you're in, if, you're, if you have been an addict, you might understand this, and Henry David Thoreau talked about it. He said that most men live a life of quiet desperation, and I sort of lived a life of loud desperation back then, of this like huge, what we call a hole in the soul. I was so bereft of, you know, any kind of purpose or meaning in my life. It was just all about getting more of more, you know, whether it's more drugs or more booze or more, you know, whatever, anything that you can imagine. I was playing in music and rock bands and I wanted to be famous and I just wanted, wanted, wanted. It was so agonizing to be in that state all the time. and. You know, that's why the book is called A Thousand Screaming Monkeys. Most addicts can relate to the thousand screaming voices that go on in our head when we're just trying to live our life by our own self-will. And so you can't hear spirit when you're constantly listening to your old programming that's causing you to perpetuate the addictions in your life. And at least that's what I found to be true for me. And so, no, my intuition was shut off. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I thought that the world was what I thought the world was. And that's, it was just this little tiny world that I made up for myself. You know, like I, I always say now that consciousness is our container. We live inside of our consciousness. We create a consciousness, a way of perceiving that the world is. And then we live inside of it as if it's true. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we have a view of the world, that the world's out to get us and we're never going to be anything and, you know, we're uh, worthless and our life is for nothing, then that's the world we get to live in, and it's mm-hmm. horrifying. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that I wrote this book is I spent a lot of time in jail, and I spent a lot of time, you know, 
relate or relative to other people, not a lot of time, but I've spent several hundred days in jail, and even one day is agonizing when you're away from your fix that you have to have. And so being locked up, I know what it felt like to be trapped inside of my head, and I just got to get out of jail so I can get back to my life that I hate. And then yeah. we get out, we get up, we get on the streets, and we're going and doing the same old stuff. And we definitely don't want to be in jail, but of course we're going to get locked up again because you can't behave in society that way. It's against the law. Right. So, yeah. Hang on so, to that. We're going to go. We're going to go to our first break, and. My guest today is Kevin Hart. He is the author of the book, A Thousand Screaming Monkeys, and that is about his um, life and, and active addiction and what's happened to him. Amazing, wonderful, spiritual things are happening to him as he's been in recovery. He is a person in long-term recovery, and he is sharing with us today about the miracles in his life. You can learn more about Kevin's work at Merkaba Press. It's M-E-R-K-A-B-A-H press.com. Stay with us. We'll be right back on Spirit of Recovery. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. Kintsugi is an ancient Japanese art form of fusing broken pottery pieces together by filling the cracks with gold. The resulting piece is not only restored and visually stunning, it also takes on a new life. Whatever has happened in the past, however broken we may feel, we can be whole again by filling our lives with the transformative power of God. Our experiences make us unique. The presence of God makes us whole. As Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Remember, with God, all things are possible. This Mindful Moment is brought to you by Daily Word magazine. Finding time for the positive reminders in Daily Word is easy with the digital edition, perfect for smartphones and readers on the go. Take advantage of our 30-day free trial to the online magazine, plus a daily email with the Word for the Day and the Daily Word app. To sign up for a free 30-day trial, visit unityonlineradio.org slash dailyword. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. 
Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. And our topic today is A Thousand Screaming Monkeys, and that's the title of a book that my guest, Kevin Hart, has written. It was published last year. Um, Kevin is a person in long-term recovery, and he has a wonderful, a very authentic story uh, right from his heart and from his experience about what life was like for him um, in active addiction and how different it is and how amazing it is um, now in recovery. And his uh, focus is on these questions. Can I allow myself to go beyond the smaller problems of life and be guided in a more fulfilling way than trying to control situations and outcomes? And Kevin really lives that on a daily basis. Before I get back to my conversation with Kevin, I would invite you to join me for a moment of peaceful serenity, a moment of meditation called the Serenity Minute. So I invite you to relax, to be aware of that peaceful presence as your higher power as you understand it. And allow yourself to relax from the crown of your head all the way through your body temple. Allow your mind and your heart to open. And share with me this constructive idea. I do allow myself to go beyond the smaller problems of life. And I am guided in a fulfilling way. I do allow myself to go beyond the smaller problems of life and I am guided into a more fulfilling way. And now we take a moment in the quiet. for joining me in the Serenity Minute and I hope that that was an opportunity for you to just take a moment in the quiet and make that conscious contact with your higher power. So we take a breath and come back to my conversation with my guest Kevin Hart and you can learn more about Kevin's work at Merkaba Press. It's M-E-R-K-A-B-A-H press.com. So, Kevin, I am so intrigued by this question you asked yourself. Can I allow myself to go beyond the smaller problems of life and be guided in a more fulfilling way than trying to control situations and outcomes? So, can you? How does that work? (laughs) (laughs) It works great. And Uh thank you for that. Meditation was lovely. Yeah, good. Thank you. You're welcome. Yep. Yes. And it brings me back to the question that we were on before we went to break and uh-huh. being locked up in jail. And that's code for me. That's uh-huh. code for being locked, locked up in my own mind. Mm-hmm. It's a, that prison that we make for ourselves. But so what happened is back then I so desperately wanted to know how to do that very thing. That's in that question. I wanted to know how can I stop, coming to jail? How can I stop doing the things in my life that are holding me hostage and move beyond to a, to a greater life, to something that is fulfilling and worthwhile? And the, I guess the answer to that, it's just simply that, yes, we can. But a lot of us will never look there until we get that gift of desperation. And so Doing work and the going into the correctional facilities and listening to what the people are saying, they really don't want to be there. They don't want to keep going back. A lot of us keep going back for various activities that we do, whether they're legal or illegal, and we get locked up. And we don't want to be there, but we're there nonetheless. And so there comes this thing of listening to that deeper voice that's within all of us. And this deeper voice tends to guide us towards our highest good. And so, and I've actually been working on a lot of stuff lately. And I wrote down a couple of things. I'm working on this new book and it's really been quite interesting. So we become honest of our current situation and circumstances. We really take a look at what we're doing and say, now is that what we want to continue to do? 
we look deep within and ask our higher self to help see clearly. You know, there's most of us, we know what we'd like to become, and there's these things that are blocking us from becoming that. Well, what are those things? Well, we, we trust that this, this deep inner knowing will help us to achieve our purpose, whether we know what it is or not. And then we look at how we operate in the world. We look at how we treat ourselves and how we treat others. We forgive ourselves and, and others, especially for everything that has happened up until now. And just try to begin anew, wherever we are, whatever circumstance. And sometimes, you know, I can be locked up in a correctional facility or I can be locked up in a job that I don't like or a relationship that's not working. Um, you know, we can choose a greater purpose for, for our life or just for this day. We can start to look past, say, you know, I'm in this job I don't like. How can I, how can I get out of it? And when we selfishly think about how, how it is that we can get out of it, we find these smaller problems. And there's always these obstacles, and they're so big, and we look at the obstacles and we say, boy, I could never leave this job because this, this, and this. But when we start to set our sights on a greater purpose and we say, how could I show up in the world? How can I work in the world to be truly helpful, to be of service to somebody else beyond what I want for myself? And we, we go and we ask spirit, we ask God, we ask our highest self, the highest expression of what we are. Will you please help me to realize my purpose? And it's sort of, it's just like reaching right past all the obstacles. And we reach right into the realm of spirit, which is all powerful, can do anything. And the obstacles just begin to melt away. You know, in, in that analogy of being in jail, and I'll go back now to a physical jail when I was locked up. I always used to try to think, how can I convince the judge to let me out? That was my prime directive. Well, I one time had this chaplain who I'd asked to see, and he was such a blessing in my life. And I remember he took his hands and he grabbed my hands. with these, He had these big warm hands, and he grabbed my hands, and he said, would you pray with me? And it was the weirdest thing ever because I'd never prayed, especially not with another man. And he asked for... Uh, he asked for God to do some things. He asked for God to go into the heart of the judges and to soften their hearts a little bit, to go into my heart, to soften my heart a little bit. And when I went to court that day, I didn't feel nearly as freaked out as I usually feel in front of the judge. And some things happened, and I can't even remember what they were today, but eventually I did get let out, and things did get better. When I think when I stopped looking at all of the little problems in my life. Like I heard this one gal say, she said, when am I going to stop taking my big giant problems to my little tiny God and start taking my little tiny problems to my big giant God? And so that's my answer. That's wonderful. Yeah. I, I really get that. It's, it's like you say, when we, when we, we keep our own selves so small when we just limit, you know, just get me out of this next little scrape here. What, what, there's nothing to, that, that has no real energy. But as you say, when we have a bigger vision and are willing to, I think, be a part of the W-H-O-L-E, that wholeness, oneness, then boy, like you're saying, stuff really happens. It just moves us forward. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of neat things happen in your life, Kevin, because you do that, because you hold that vision. So some of the, what are some of the other things? You've written the book. I know that you mm-hmm. are of service in the, in the jails. You go and work with people. You founded a, a press to publish books. How did that happen? Well, when, when A Thousand Screaming Monkeys was coming closer to completion, uh, I just did some research on publishers, and I thought about maybe sending it to a couple of publishers, but the, my guidance said, nah, let's just do it ourselves. And so we went through the process of, of founding a small press, which is easier now today than it's ever been with everything going digital. And so I did some research and found out how I could do that through uh, – it's mostly through Amazon – and how I could assemble a small press and release my own work under it. And 
you know, maybe other people's work in the future. We'll see what happens with that. I'm working on a second book. So it's this whole small press, the whole purpose of it was to be of service to the world in some way. And, you know, like I was saying before, I don't always know what my purpose is. But when it's directed towards something beyond what I get for myself or how I can take care of me or get my own or whatever it is, when it's greater than that, it seems that the the answers just kind of appear. And so I got guided to do this thing, and I did it. And I was shocked, actually, when that book got done. When I hit the button that says Make It Live or whatever on Amazon, I was freaked out because there's so much personal information in it. But once it was done, it's like it's nothing, it's no major thing now. And so, you know, if you're out there listening and you have a dream in your heart that you'd like to accomplish and you feel like there's no way you could do it because it's too big, if you just move through and keep completing those little steps and following your greater guidance, everything comes into fruition. Everything happens at its own time. Now, Kevin, one of the things that you uh, write about is that in this process of good coming into fruition and of these of your vision of being, you know, of service and for the greater good, is that there's house cleaning that's going to happen in your consciousness. So, how does that work? Well, for me, it began when I when I was first starting in that journal writing that I shared with you. How how you know my counselor gave me this journal, and then she gave me my own journal, and she said, "This one's for you. When you turn in the journal to me, just write a half a page because I can't read that much." And I said, "Okay." So I started to write, and what I learned was that if I if I just wrote my thoughts honestly, I was amazed at what I was actually thinking that I didn't know that I was thinking. In other words, I had this massively toxic environment called my thoughts, and I was, and you know, we live mostly in our consciousness. That's the most of our environment is our consciousness, and so I'm living in this massively toxic environment. And so, if I would allow myself to honestly write down exactly what I was thinking and feeling, it was not pretty. And so, as the days went by, and I was exposed to this you know, the world of recovery and the language of recovery and responsibility and taking responsibility for ourselves for the first time ever sometimes, I started to see that, oh, my God, look at what I'm thinking. And then I could start to see how what I was thinking directly related to the experiences in my life. And I started to get that I was responsible for my life. I can remember the counselor you know, I had problems, legal problems, family problems, relationship problems, just problems all over the place. And I was complaining to her about this. And she's listening and she said, yeah, tell me more about that. And I told her all these problems. And then she said, God, that's too bad. She said, who was there every time? And I said, well, who was it? <laughs> I want to know who's, who's this guy that was there every time. And she said, I didn't know. I couldn't see. She said, it's you. And I, it was a revelation to me that in every problem in my life, I was the common denominator. And so as I started to do this writing, I could see, sure enough, that the thoughts that I had were giving me my life. And so I started to write, like I'd write all this toxic stuff, and then I'd write a better feeling thought. And the thought might be, you know, it's possible to live a better life. And then sure enough, I could see in my daily walk that... I was making choices in every moment that was determining my life. And so that's where it began. And, you know, that was 10 years ago. And so now over the time, about five years ago, I went through the 12 steps. And that was one of the most profound experiences I've ever had in really taking a look at what's really running the show called my life. And to take that stuff take a good look at it and then give it to God and ask for it to be taken away once and for all. And then to take it and share that process with somebody else. And that's kind of what we do when we get into the 12 steps. We just share it. In fact, that's what we do in any spiritual tradition, isn't it really? We find a way that works and we share it with the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as it, as it goes on, there's kind of a maintenance, little house cleaning maintenance that we do 
And we just continually check ourselves and see what's going on. And when something pops up, we talk to someone about it and ask God to remove it. And then we turn our attention to someone we can help. And it's a pretty good way to live free of selfishness and self-centeredness and all the things that we find make us pretty thirsty. Right. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's like it keeps you centered in that on that bigger vision. It keeps you centered on a larger life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, Kevin, what's uh, the response to your book? When people read your book, do, they, do you get any feedback, any uh, sense of the impact that it has or how people respond to it? Yeah. I, you know, when I, as I was writing the book, I, I thought that it was mostly for somebody who was just like me, you know, who's, who's doing a lot of what we've been talking about, who's getting locked up a lot or, or just really living a life inactive addiction that's not pretty and doesn't want to be living that life. And I thought they'd read the book and say, oh, cool, this guy, you know, figured out a way to do it, and then they'd figure out their way to do it. And that's that has happened to a certain degree, but actually what I found out is that it's more, it seems like up until now, in the year that it's been out, it's had more of an impact on people who have an addicted person in their life. So lots of moms read it, and people with you know, an addict or an alcoholic in their family, they read it and they get a really good idea of what's going on underneath the outward appearance of the person that, you know, that that is having the problems, you know, because it's like when my mom read this book and I was a little bit nervous about that and she, she read it and she really, really enjoyed it. And she said this really funny thing to me. She said, why didn't you tell me? And so I really had to think about that. And I'm like, well, and I, and the answer came, well, cause I didn't know, I didn't know the stuff in this book. Then I did not know that I was the common denominator in every problem that I had. And if I had, maybe I would have said something, but I was living so in the top of my brain. In other words, just in the, my own thinking, my own little tiny world that I'd created, that I had no idea of what was really going on. And so Thank God for the counselors of our world. Thank God for the people who have come before us and gotten sober and showed up in the world in a way to carry this message forward that, hey, there's a, there's a way to live that blows away the greatest high you can ever experience from drugs and alcohol or whatever else you're addicted to. There's a way to live where you can be content and peaceful in every moment of your life, even through huge problems that you can be content and peaceful and know that it's going to be okay, even though it's, you know, we're going to go through the process of losing loved ones and life is going to life and we're going to have goods and we're going to have bads. We're going to have ups and downs, but we can be okay. And, you know, that's something that never, ever happened before. So what's really happening is people are getting, you know, it's kind of like a, look inside my brain kind of a book where I just, I just told the truth about how I honestly felt about the world. And so it's helping people see into the minds of addicts in general, if that makes sense. It does. Um, as a person myself on, on the other side of this fam- as a family member, that's part of it been aff- affected by the disease of addiction. Uh, that is one of the greatest uh, quests of family members or friends is to try to understand because it looks on the outside it of course the addictive behavior makes no sense um and so it's it's that great like why 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 which which there's no real answer to that except that because they have a disease is the real answer but yes it makes so much difference for family members and friends when they can see inside so thank you you've given a great gift to family members because that's it might because then it's going family members can go oh oh that's where they're at and also it opens that compassion because family members uh we don't always see the pain we we get upset at all the stuff that's going on but we don't always understand that that uh one that has the disease of the substance addiction or the behavioral addiction is in a lot of pain so it opens up the heart so thank you for writing that book yeah. Thank you. Yes, it's been a pleasure. Well, there's uh-huh. something else too that I'd like to address. Do we have time? Sure. Yeah, we got time. 
Well, it's this thing of when when somebody in the family gets sober, at first everybody's like, oh, thank, thank God, finally. But then sometimes what happens is after it goes, a little bit of time goes by, it throws off the family dynamic. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like we learn, a lot of times we learn that alcoholism or addiction is a family disease where there's something that's, you know, that's, in, you know, it comes to that point of now, how did I become addicted? Was it genetically? Was it spiritually? Was it just because I happened to become an addict? What was it? And who knows? We, we don't really know the answer to that so far. It could be all these different determining factors. But I found a more ancient sort of a problem, and that is that it's kind of like an ancestral wound that's come through countless generations. And so it seems like one thing I hear from a lot of other people who are getting sober now and learning to live a different life is they say, I'm going to make a stand for putting an end to this in my life. This is no longer going to affect me and my family. And people are standing up and they're saying, they're, they know that it comes from way back before our families, that something has occurred linearly through all the generations. It's sort of this wound that kind of carries forward and carries forward and carries forward so that, you know, our families are behaving in a way because it just kind of got inherited. And does, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, that's absolutely. It's a, it's you're right. It's a system, and you're right. It's a ancient wound. That's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. And so, when we come to the point of making a stand for ourselves, and we say, "I'm going to put an end to this," at first, it's accepted, and then sometimes it's like, "Wait a minute, that's not what we've always done." You know, mm-hmm. the 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 thing gets shifted. And so a lot of times a a mother will come to me and say, well, what can I do? You know? And and the answer is you can show up for yourself. A lot of times this is an invitation for the family, each person in the family to show up for themselves in a good way, to show up for themselves in a way that is where they get to live their life of purpose. Because if we're, if we have an addicted person in our family and we're always taking care of that addict, we're always taking care of that person that's doing something wrong and then they quit doing something wrong, we've got nothing to push up against. And so we're faced with something that at some point I think every human being gets faced with and that is ourselves. And we say, okay, what am I doing in the world? And what do, what do I really want for myself? And that's why when, that's why always in conversation, it seems to go back to where consciousness is the container in which we live. And Bruce Lipton, I'm sure you know who Bruce Lipton is. Mm -hmm. Uh, He wrote wrote that book, Biology of Belief, and he says that the biggest, so our environment is the hugest causative factor in our life, and the hugest part of our environment is the thoughts that we think all day long, you know, that we become what we think about all day long. And so people are starting to show up for themselves in their lives and take a stand to live their best life, challenging these thinking patterns. You know, the 12 steps is certainly not the only way to take a good look at how you operate in the world. I think once we set an intention that we're going to change our lives fundamentally and we go to our highest self, our God self, whatever you call it, spirit or however you term it, when we go to that place and say, please help me to see who I am so I can live the best life, so I can live my highest purpose, the answers come. The teachers show up. The guides show up in human forms and beyond to show us the way that we can live a better life. Yeah. It takes a lot of courage to face oneself, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That... Sometimes I think that's why people it people go forward when they go forward, but that's a lot of times it. And and that and you're right; it's true for family members when the when the focus is gone and it and one looks in the mirror and oh oh I guess it's me. I guess I have to do something with my own life. Sometimes that's so scary for people. Sometimes there's deep stuff they it's hard for them to face. Well, yeah, and a lot of times you know, and I know for myself this is true. Like somebody used to say to me all the time, get in the real world. And I used to think, God, that's true. I need to get in the real world. But then as I go further in this work, it's like, well, get in whose real world? 
because there's 7.4 billion real worlds going on right now. Everybody, everybody's world is just as real to them as yours is to you. And so when we literally challenge our core belief about life and about ourselves, it is jarring. Yes, and that's it is. One of the, that's one, I'm sorry, you go ahead. No, that's it. Go ahead. Well, that's one of the great gifts about desperation is we literally get to a point where we just, there's no, nothing left to fight with. We are completely depleted of all of our fight, and we're completely taken out. And we reach this point where there's nothing left but to ask for spiritual help. And so we ask God, will you please help me? And God's kind of like, well, yeah, no big deal. I would have the whole time. <laughs> and so for a lot of us, that's the last thing we'll ever do. And that's one of the things that is interesting about going into the jails is a lot of people, and me included when I was, when I was there, you know, the notion of God is just not something that we ever believe we can rely on for whatever reasons we were taught this or we were trained that. But when we go to our innermost self and seek a relationship for ourselves, with ourselves, and by ourselves, then we get a direct experience rather than a mental concept. Yes. That's the amazing gift is that God always shows up. Sometimes it's not recognized because it's it's different than maybe our head says it's going to happen. But God always shows up, and that's the—that's grace. That's the gift. That's the assurance. Well, even in the Course in Miracles, you know, it says that the Course doesn't aim at teaching love because that's beyond what can be taught. That that the aim is to remove the obstacles to the awareness of love's presence. Mm-hmm. And that's really, to me, what all this work boils down to is: if we remove everything that we think we are, we're whole, pure spirit. Already perfect and beautiful. There's nothing that has to be done that, you know, I see every human being. In fact, this is one thing I love about Mother Teresa. She said, you know, they said, how can you go and work with these horribly sick people and, you know, just so, just so messed up. And she said that, you know, I see the Christ in everyone, no matter how distressing the disguise and mm-hmm. how beautiful is that, you know, that we can actually, I see every human being that way, thanks to her help and other people's help of saying, you know, if you look beyond the disguise that we wear, there's that pure, beautiful spirit shining bright, always. Yes. So, Kevin, what's, um, tell us a little bit more about what you do in the jail. We've got a little bit more time, but when you go in, what, how do you share with people? What is it that you're bringing there and what happens? Well, I go in in the capacity of bringing 12-step meetings into a jail. Mm-hmm. So I go in a couple times a week doing that. And, <clears throat> you know, those guys, they appreciate it so much. Um, a, lot, a lot of the times I hear that, you know, this is the only time where I can come out and actually be really honest about what's going on. You know, I can remember being in there. It, there's a lot of bravado. And there's a lot of, you know, you're, you're scared. But you don't want to let anybody know you're scared, so you act you know, like you got your stuff together and you're a tough guy and all that kind of stuff. But really, you just you just want to be heard. You just want to you know you just want to be safe and know that everything's okay. And for that hour that we're in there, it's a safe environment, you know. And you hear stuff in there, and you can feel the spirit moving in in those meetings so profoundly. I mean, I can feel the spirit moving in any sacred circle I sit in. But there's something about being in the jail. There's like a there's a depth to it. You know, I, I had a, I had the man that took me through the 12 steps. He actually passed on a couple of years ago. Um, but he used to say this very interesting thing and I just love it. And as I go on myself and work with other people more and more, I get to really feel this. And what Dookie stories say is I never feel the presence of God more than when I'm working with another person. And I always loved that about him. And he had that way about him. And I felt that when I was with him. And he's always around me. It's funny how that works. And he's the one, actually, that uh, taught me how to go into the jails. I went in with him for many, many years until he got sick and passed on. And so now it's interesting when I walk out of that jail, a lot of times I can feel his spirit blowing around with the wind, you know, out in that big front door there. And we used to sit out there and talk a lot. And I always hear him saying that I never feel the presence of God more than when I'm working with someone mm-hmm. in that capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's sweet. 
Wait, briefly share because it's a neat story because you do trust spirit and you are so intuitive if you would share briefly how it came how we came to make this connection and you came to be my guest today it's kind of a cool story oh yeah well i'm you know i'm a member of everett unity up here in everett washington and mm-hmm. so we have uh, a great little community and you had come out to speak at the church and i rarely write things down and, and this was several you, years ago. This was probably four yeah. years ago. I don't know. Anyway, while back. I think it was, yeah, two. I think it was, it was more than two. or 13. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were, you were, you were talking and you were talking about the recovery stuff that you do in the world. And there's just something that moved me. And so I just wrote down on the little program that they gave us. I wrote down your contact information. I think you gave your website or something. And, and then I, I kept it, but I never looked at it again for a couple of years. And then a couple of years went by and I was cleaning out all my stuff and, I was just pitching stuff left and right because I wanted to clear my room out there. And I came across that schedule and I looked and I said, hmm, soul matters. I said, I'm just going to pitch this. And Spirit goes, oh, no, you don't send an email. So I said, okay. So I looked you up and I sent an email and I said, I don't know why, but I'm contacting you. And you sent me back an email and said, hey, you want to be on my radio show? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Is that accurate? That's right. Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And that's cool because that, that really is how spirit works in it. It's like, I mean, you never know when you're out just participating and engaging in life. You don't, none of us know um, the connections that God has in mind. And I, I think that's important for everybody in recovery is to know that um, it matters that you're out there and just interacting and wherever you go, that, that thing that, you know, that's said in, in meetings about you're the only, uh, maybe the only representative of this program that a person ever meets. And yeah. whatever kind of meetings you go to, there's many kinds of meetings or whatever you do. And, and we don't know the ripples. We don't know. And that's why yeah. it matters that, that we get out there with confidence and just be ourselves and, and know that God's, God's working. God shines through everybody that's even the slightest bit willing. Yeah, and that and and that way you just said, you know, of all of everything that you asked me today, and of all the reasons why I do this and do that in the world, and why I write books and why I go and bring this message to other people that would like to have it, it's all because to let people know that there's nobody that's too that's that can't have this. There's nobody that can't live a life of profound spiritual awareness and just to live a life that they're just on fire every day where they just love to be alive. Everybody has that right within themselves and that it's possible to move beyond all these smaller problems of the world and live in that kind of spiritual abundance within no matter what you're doing on the planet. Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, it's time for us to close, but I want to thank you so much, Kevin, for being my guest and thank you for, uh, writing your book thank you for being in recovery thank you for being who you are and for sharing and and really shining that light and lifting up and and giving such a message of inspiration so thanks for being who you are and thanks for being my guest today thanks for sending that email for not throwing out that piece of paper (laughs) well thank you anna so much i really appreciate you and your show and unity and all that you're welcome. And listeners, thank you. Thanks for listening today. And you, all of us, we got that fire inside of us. So shine bright. Uh, have a blessed week. And we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
As a society, we're becoming more conscious of our responsibility to the environment. There are precious resources which must be properly managed. Although it is necessary for me to focus on these outer resources, it's equally important to develop my inner spiritual resources. Within every one of us is a wellspring of peace, a power which cannot be overused, yet often remains neglected. Every time I choose to think and act from that peace within, I bless not only my immediate environment, but the entire world as well. Peace is a precious resource that I can serve best by giving it away. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. We talk to the animals, and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast, hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Aaron Dendy-Smith, and Meredith Tolleson, we will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.